take your Bibles, turn to 3 John. Third John. I won't tell you what chapter, because if you know Third John, there isn't one. I want to talk a little bit this morning about creating, developing a culture of wholeness. Worship went there this morning. Did you feel your soul get healed in some way? Did you feel something happening? I want to talk about this because I've, I've felt the need for it. Um, just in recent weeks, you know, we were away for a, a week or so with a family reunion. We had our family come into town, stay with us. And, you know, when family gets together, you talk about those things you don't really get to talk about when you're apart. And, and I, I'll be honest with you, my, my heart was broken. My heart was broken being around my extended family because I just kept hearing of things just going bad, specifically in marriages, in marriages, with marriages, did I say that correctly? With, with adolescents, teenagers, and, and I've started to, I guess it's just a part of getting older, you start to recognize, is my life going to have meaning? I'm not one of these morbid, introspective kind of guys, but you know, the older I get, the more I do recognize that my time is growing shorter and shorter on this planet. And I want to make sure that when I get to the end, I look back and I hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Right. And it's not just about, for me, it's not about the church and what it does. It's about what kind of legacy am I leaving? What kind of inheritance am I leaving for my children? And over the last few weeks of being with family and some not family, but just being around all this extended stuff, my heart was really broken by what I was seeing. Marriages that were healthy three years ago are falling apart. And, you know, I don't ever want to be in a position where I'm dogmatic about what Scripture says about marriage and, and morality and all that. I don't ever want to be in a place like that. That's religion. What I really want to bring is life into the situation. And so I've been continually and ongoingly asking the Lord, Lord, what do I do? What's my part in this? This is my family, these are close friends. This is our church. What, what is my part in all of this? And the Lord's having me craft a letter that I ultimately will give out to all of our family on both sides of the family because I felt the Lord speaking to me personally about saying, Andrew, there was a time when your father carried this paternal influence with the family. And you guys met my dad. He's wonderful. But I felt the Lord saying to me, it's shifting. It's time for you to stand up and take that mantle. And so I'm, I'm looking at it circumspectly and very comprehensively. And I'm looking at it going, it's not just with my family. It's with anyone that's with me. And I want to step into that. I want to step into that fatherly role. Because what I'm recognizing more than anything else is this. That yes, our culture has gone downhill. Our society has gone downhill, so to speak, right? We would all say that. But the church has stood in this position for a long time and said society's going downhill. I don't think that's changing anything. My entire life of being in church, I've been hearing it. Oh, well, things aren't like they used to be. You know, you didn't have teen pregnancy then. You didn't have divorce then. You didn't have all this stuff and it's going down. And I'm like, it doesn't do us any good to state the obvious. Romans 12 tells me that 
we are to prophesy according to our measure of faith. It takes no faith to see what's wrong. Anybody can do that. I really do believe that if we as a people operate from faith, not from fear, not from the natural, that if we operate from a place of faith, we will see a transformation in ourselves, in the church, and then in culture, we'll respond. When the bride of Christ begins to look more and more like Jesus, the world will look at it and go, that's something I want to be a part of. So it doesn't do any good for me to stand and look at all the problems that are happening and the problems that I'm seeing that are happening even in my extended family and just start pointing the finger. I want to know, God, what do I do? How do I bring life into this situation? So I want to talk about that because what I really want is not just to talk to a few individuals that are my extended family, friends, or just a few people in here. I want to see us create a culture of wholeness, a culture of wholeness. What have we done in the church for a long time? We've made life about spirituality and is Christianity about the spirit of God and all that? Yes, absolutely. But we've denied the need for the soul and for the flesh to be nurtured. What Andrew, the flesh, the flesh is evil. God created us tripart beings. He created us tripart beings. We are spirit, soul, and body. And if Savior, this, if the Savior, Jesus, saved us, then do you believe he saved all of it? I do know that this flesh is corrupt and it will fail. It's going to die. It's going to turn to dust. I know that. I get a glorified body. But bear with me for a minute. We have taken a lot of that future, what God has for us, left or things that God has for us, put it into the future and not drug it into our present now when we can access what we can get right now. There is salvation for my body. There's salvation for my soul. My spirit was dead. It's been made alive and I am in communion with Jesus now. Come on, this is good news, right? I want us to have a culture of wholeness, not where we just come in and try to set things spiritually correct. Hello? When we do that, we create an atmosphere of religion. It can be very pharisaical. It becomes all about doctrine. Now, is doctrine important? Absolutely. Absolutely, it's important. But doctrine never transformed the life. It's the life-giving presence of Jesus that transforms the life. And he comes in with salvation. That word in Greek is the word sozo. That's a very pregnant word. That's a very rich, deep, pregnant, full word. That word and shalom are probably the most powerful words in Scripture. Shalom, peace. That word's so full. It's not just peace. It's like it's health. It's well-being. Sozo is the same thing. It means the word means salvation, but it's not just salvation so you can get out of hell and go to heaven. That's a very, very small part of salvation. If that were the most important part of salvation, we're not going to hell and then going to heaven, then we would say yes to Jesus and be snatched up. There's an assignment and a a task that he has for us to bring it to people around us. Salvation, not only in my spirit, but in my soul. I want my soul saved. You know what? I want salvation for my body. Why do you think Jesus went around doing healing more than he did anything else? He's pointing to something. The Savior of the world, the complete, all-consuming. All of creation gets redeemed in him. Come on, that's good news. All of creation gets redeemed in him. 
As a matter of fact, Psalms tells me this, that if we worship him, even the earth will yield its increase. Anybody in here like to go green? You like to go green? You do your part, you recycle green earth. You don't want to use gas-sucking cars, all that kind of stuff. You really want to know how the best way you can go green is? Start worshiping the Lord. It's the best go green you can ever do. Start worshiping the Lord. Start praising him. All of creation is redeemed in him. Are you guys still tracking with me? I told you to go to 3 John, and I've not even gotten there yet. Look at 3 John. Verse 1 and 2. To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. God, you got to love John. Verse 2, what I want to point out. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things. Everybody say all things. All things. And be in health. Thank you. Just as your soul prospers. Beloved, hear the words of John speaking to you this morning. I'm not reading. I'm declaring over you this morning. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. You see what's happening here? There's a direct link between prosperity in life and where our soul is. I pray that you would be in good health, that you would prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. There's a link between how the condition of our soul and even how we physically live on this earth. I can get sick and take medication, but I can get and help it, but I can get sick, and sometimes the reason why I'm sick is because of the condition of my soul. Hello. There are people on this planet who want healing from Jesus, and there's healing for Jesus, but there's something wrong inside the soul. What do I mean by that? I'm going to step on toes because that's what I do. (laughs) I've seen this happen. People pray and cry out for healing in their physical body all the time, but there's something that's going on in the soul where they have found their identity in their ailment. And it would be difficult to get rid of the ailment because part of my identity would go away. Right? I met someone like that once when I was in Nashville. I'm not picking on somebody here. I'm just trying to give you a story here. Had the necklace, had the bracelet, bracelet, and would always introduce himself as a diabetic. What was going on? I recognized that it was more than just physical. There's something going on in the soul because the identity was wrapped around that. So everything was seen through the lens of I'm a diabetic. That's like looking at your life and going, I'm a sinner. You say you're a sinner. What are you going to live like? Hello. You guys tracking with me, right? There's a connection between what happens in the condition of the soul and what happens in life around us. It's not external circumstances. Oftentimes, it's internal circumstances. Jesus wants us to be whole. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things. This is not just about wealth mentality. Yes, there's a wealth mentality we need to embrace. It's been so misrepresented for years within the church. It has. But you can't throw it out. The prosperity gospel, right? Yes, it's been mistreated, but there's something about that. There's still, there's a shifting that needs to happen in our soul. Our soul is the container for our mind, our will, and our emotions, right? Our soul, our heart, mind, will, and emotions, they all reside in that part of our tripart being. And there's a health that needs to happen even in the way we think. I've addressed this before, even from a, from a, prosperity standpoint, I talk about greed and and poverty. 
Everybody would say greed's a bad thing, right? But would we be as equally ready to jump on poverty and say poverty's a bad thing? They both have the same father. They sure do. And their last name is, they'll never be enough. Greed says that, they'll never be enough. Poverty says it, they'll never be enough. They both come from the same father. You hear what I'm talking about? There's, a, there's something in our soul that looks at life and it demands that we live a certain way because of our perception. So he's saying, I would that you would prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. I love this because he starts from the outside. He ta- he's talking about prospering in all things. That, that's external stuff. And then he takes it down to your health, your physical body. And then he takes it into your soul. Jesus wants us to be whole. I'm not preaching a message on money. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm not talking about that. This is so much deeper than that. And that would really not do it justice. Hebrews 4.12. What we've done is we've taken things of the spirit and made them primary. Things of the soul and of the flesh. And we've made them like, yeah, let's don't deal with them. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 4 for a minute. I'm going to bounce around. Hope you guys are okay with this. Hebrews chapter 4. Listen to this. Verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. Hello? Now, we've taken passages like this, and we've gone, oh, well, if it's spiritual, it's good, and if it's soulish, it's bad. I've done it in times past. I've interpreted that wrong. Even the dividing of soul and spirit. It doesn't say soul from spirit. It says soul and spirit. And literally the way that should read in the Greek, it's an interesting, it wouldn't make sense if we translated translated it literally into the English, but it would literally read like this. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and soul and spirit and spirit. That's how it would read. Even to the division of soul and soul and spirit and spirit and the joints and the marrow. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It does not divide the soul from the spirit. God put them together. Hello. He put them together. The tripart being we're made to operate with it. What he's saying here is it takes the things that are in the soul that don't need to be in the soul. And he's getting rid of those things. And he's taking the things in the spirit that don't need to be in the spirit. And he's getting rid of those things. That's what the word does. It comes in and it brings a revelation. Because how many of you know there are things that we let into our spirit that just don't necessarily need to be in our spirit? That's right. And there are things we let into our soul that don't necessarily be, need to be in our soul. The word of God comes in and it's a discerner in a, of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And it comes in and it's, it's like I tell people, don't read your Bible. Let it read you. Don't read your Bible. Let it read you. When you feel that coming in, it's like, oh man, have you ever been reading the word before and you're reading something that has nothing to do with what's going on in your life and your thoughts and all of a sudden you feel something inside when you're reading it? That's the word. That's what it's doing. It's coming in and it's dividing soul and soul and spirit and spirit. Because yeah. there are things in both categories, that, but we need to be healthy. That's why it's happening. 1 Corinthians 6. I won't make you turn there, but it, it lists this whole myriad of stuff that you shouldn't be. You know, liars, fornicators, adulterers, you know, all this stuff. A whole homosexual, all this stuff. It lists all these things, but then it goes on to say some of you were. And it goes on to say even beyond that, don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You know, there's value in this. There's value in this flesh. I know that there's a message on not living by the flesh. I know that. I've even talked about that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about living from the spirit 
through the soul into the body, living from spirit all of life, not living from flesh. So the flesh isn't evil. It's not evil. David got it. The, the old covenant dude that got new covenant realities, he says, my heart and my flesh, they cry out for you. Why? Because he had such intimacy with the father that he knew being with him, even his physical body would be better off. My heart and my flesh, they cry out for you, the living God. You see what he's doing? We have this thing in the church. As a matter of fact, 1 John, the book of 1 John was written for this very reason because people had come in and had started to say, well, the spirit means everything. The flesh is evil. The soul is, the spirit is everything. It's a thing called Gnosticism. The entire book of 1 John was written for that purpose to come against the Gnosticism. Some even go so far as to say that even between a married couple, sexuality is wrong and it's evil. Oh man, I'm telling you, there's something holy about that. There's something wonderfully holy about that. In its context, you're with me, right? Am I embarrassing you now? There's something very holy about that. And even that in and of itself, and I'm just going to say this and I'm going to move on. For married couples here in your sexual life, ooh man, this isn't a marriage thing, but boy am I. If that's not healthy, it can be. It can be. It can be wonderful. It can be so wonderful because it's God created, it's God ordained. As a matter of fact, I know this is really weird for some of you guys, but if you don't like it, too bad. The sexuality between man and wife is the best earthly picture that we have of the love between Jesus and us. That's why it says in Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands, all of this stuff, right? We have all that, and we turn it into teaching seminars, and we tell husbands and wives how they're supposed to relate to each other, when really, Paul gets to the end of it, and he says, really, I'm talking in a mystery here, because I'm talking about Jesus in the church. So you can't turn it into a formula. He's talking about this intimate relationship. Jesus wants us to be whole. We need to have a culture of wholeness. I'm not interested in people just having good theology and walking out the door. I'm more interested in their soul getting healed, their bodies getting healed, and their minds getting healed so that they know it's not just about coming into this place to get healed. I can live like this everywhere I go. Romans 12.1, brethren, I urge you, I beg you by the mercies of God to present your what? Bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the whole person. We've got some health nuts in here. And they rub off on me a little bit. Because I, in times past, I have not been that healthy. And even right now, I've kind of slipped a little bit on what I've been eating because of this chicken wings. Man, I love chicken wings. <laughs> but even that, there's something about it. Think about it for a minute. I'm just going to throw this out there. If Jesus were to come along, and he does... And he saves us in our sins, from our sins. Would you say it's okay to go back to sinning again? Why? Because he saved us from us. Why should you live in sin? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. That's what Romans 6 says. Why is it that if he comes along and heals your body, we keep eating the same thing we've been eating? Just a thought. Why do we keep doing the same thing with our body and we're saying, Jesus, heal us? Because sin and sickness, he took care of both of them equally, right? Just a thought. John chapter 6 says, The spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. Right? We're familiar with that? The spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. So, Andrew, the flesh is, is nothing. Well, that's right. It profits nothing. But he's not talking about 
the flesh being a recipient, he's talking about the flesh leading. The spirit that gives life, the flesh profits nothing. That's all in the context of Jesus saying, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Remember? This wonderful cannibalism thing that he's introducing. This is new. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. What are you talking about? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And if you can't do that, you don't have any part of me. And a bunch of people leave. Remember the story, right? Jesus says to his disciples, you want to leave too? Peter responds, and I love Peter. This is one of his classic moments. He says, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. The Andrew Lamb translation of that is, Jesus, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Whenever you talk, something inside of me comes alive. Thinking from fleshly perspective, earthly perspective, profits nothing is what he's saying. It's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. You can approach life from spirit towards this, or you can approach it from flesh towards that, and it doesn't work that way. Hello. You with me? That's why our minds have to be renewed constantly and ongoingly, because we're shifting the way we think. If we think from here towards earth, we're missing it, or towards heaven, we're missing it. We have to think from heaven towards earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. John goes on to say, it's really, as he is, so are we in this world. Now, come on. What are you, what are you? That's a weird one, right? As he is, so are we in this world. Wow, that's something to get our head around. What do you mean? You mean all those thoughts that I have, all those little sinful things that I do when nobody's looking? Yeah, that doesn't change the fact that as he is, so are you in this world. As a matter of fact, all that pattern of sin, all that whatever it is, the stuff we do in our flesh, you know, whether it be with sexuality, eating, whatever we do with our flesh, all of that stuff changes, not by our willpower, it changes by getting a revelation of the spirit of the living God. As he is, so are we in this world. You want all that stuff to stop? Get a revelation of Jesus. You need an encounter with him. You need an encounter with Jesus. How many in here would say, I've had an encounter with Jesus? Okay, how many in here would say, I need another encounter with Jesus? Yeah, yes, me all the time. I need another encounter with Jesus. Recognize that whenever something's happening in our flesh and we do things wrong that we know it's sinful behavior, don't beat yourself up about it. Just look at it and go, oh, I bought a lie somewhere. I bought the lie somewhere. Where did the li- where's the lie? Go find out what the lie was that you bought that caused you to go in that direction. Bring the truth to it Amen. and say, ah, oh, this is truth. This changes everything. Why? Because he wants us to be in health and prosper even as our soul prospers. You guys still with me? Yes. There's Galatians 5 talks about that. You know, so to the flesh, so to the spirit. That's, I'm, there is, I'm not trying to be anti that. That's not what I'm doing at all. I'm just simply saying it's the direction that we're living from. When Galatians 5 talks about sowing to the flesh of the flesh, you'll reap corruption. Sowing to the spirit, you'll reap life. All of that. He's saying... Your dead old sinful nature was taken to the cross with Jesus. It was nailed there permanently, and your sinful nature is gone. Hello? Your sinful nature is gone. But Andrew, I still sin. Yeah, but do you enjoy it? There's a reason why you don't. I mean, you do, but you don't, ultimately. It never brings life. Go with me for a moment back to the Garden of Eden. God has this wonderful setup. This incredible setup for Adam and Eve. And he says, everything's yours. It's all yours. Eat whatever you want. But that tree right there, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, just never forget, it's not the tree of good and evil. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
and the tree of life. He goes, you can eat of anything you want, but don't eat of that one right there. And we all know what happened. Jesus comes along, brings restoration and redemption, sets everything straight. We still live in a fallen world, and it's under the sway of the evil one, according to 1 John 5. It's under the sway, influence of the evil one. We live in this world, but now everything's been restored. What we lost in the Garden of Eden was regained in the Garden of Gethsemane with the person of Jesus. Garden of, Garden of Eden, no, my will, not yours, God. Garden of Gethsemane, no, your will, not mine. Right? So it was all restored. Jesus took care of it with the sacrifice. Understand that now in this life, there's still two trees to choose from. Which one do you want to eat from? Do you want to eat from the tree of life? Or do you want to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? When we don't try to take care of the soul and the flesh properly, we are going to go start eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's right for me to do? What's wrong for me to do? That's the tree of, instead of running to life itself, Running to life itself, all of a sudden my soul begins to prosper and then everything on the exterior prospers, right? Have you ever known people? I'll just talk about the financial part of it for a minute. Have you ever known people that just wherever they go, they just know how to make money? There's something directly connected to the soul with that, right? There are people who have unhealthy souls that have a gift of making money, but they can't do it because the soul's in disarray. You guys tracking with me? Ah. Acts chapter 3. Are you guys still okay with this? I know I'm bouncing around. Acts chapter 3. You guys know the story? Gate beautiful. There's a guy who's lame from birth. He's brought to the gate beautiful, and he has been set there every day for his his whole life. He's set there every day, and then Peter and John come along to pray, and he goes, alms? And they look at him and say, well, we don't have silver or gold, but what we do have you, I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. You guys know the story? Dude gets up. He didn't just get up and start walking. He's leaping. He's praising God. He runs into the temple. Why? Because the power of Jesus doesn't just heal our physical body. It healed his soul as well. It's one thing to get physical healing and you can walk again. It's another thing to go, whoa, Jesus, my soul has been healed. That's sozo. That's the deep kind of healing that Jesus wants to bring us. I think it's really interesting in that passage. It's kind of a lot like the modern church to us. What do we do? We take people to church that have something wrong with them in hopes that somebody will do something and they'll get better. Right? Come on. I'm going to take my friends to church. Man, if I take my friends to church, then maybe they'll hear the message and they'll give their life to Jesus. Or maybe they'll get healed or maybe they'll get free from this. Because if I bring them to church, that's what they were doing there. They were taking this guy, picking him up, setting him in front of Gate Beautiful, just thinking, well, maybe he'll get taken care of. And then they'd take him home in the evening. This is what was happening. And they would pick him up again the next day, take him right back there and set him there so he can beg. We're not beggars. We're royalty. That's a soul condition. That's a condition of the soul. When it doesn't understand that we're royalty and it walks around living like paupers, that's a soul condition that needs to be healed. We spend a lot of time talking about spiritual health in the church and not all that else. We say pray, fast, read your Bible, worship. Do we need to do those things? Yes, absolutely. But there's something beautiful that happens when those things happen, not out of compulsion, but they happen out of an internal conviction because something has changed inside the soul. I grew up son of a pastor, born on Saturday, in church on Sunday. You know the story. I've, just my whole life, I've been in church. And this is the way I always perceived church was you've got to read your Bible, Andrew. Read every day. Pray every day. You've got to be at every worship service. Church doors are open. You better be in there. And I found no life in it at all. Until I met the giver of life. 
then all of a sudden that stuff started happening. You don't have to tell me to read my Bible. My God, I encounter Jesus when I read my Bible. You don't have to tell me to show up in a worship service when the doors are open. I encounter Jesus in people when I do that. Pray. You don't have to tell me to pray. I am prayer. That's what David said anyway. What we need is not to teach people. We need to teach people how to manage the appetites, but not just the things that are in the spirit. We need to talk to our youth. We need to talk to our, our family around us when they're in difficult marriage. Guys, I know it's difficult. I have difficulty in my marriage too. It's all me. <laughs> just, just be clear. There's difficulties. We face them all the time. They're constantly in front of us. There's no such thing as this picture-perfect marriage. If you're looking for that, go to Disney. I think it's interesting in all those Disney movies, when those two people finally get married, they say happily ever after, but they don't show you anything about that life, do they? It all ends right there like, ah! Your marriage with Jesus is not just about a moment. It's about a movement. It's about this ongoing life living with him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this wonderful phrase. He's a, he was a German priest. He was put in prison in World War II and ultimately hanged. But he was a wonderful theologian. He, when he was in prison, his niece wrote to him and said, Oh, Uncle Dietrich, I just want you to know I'm getting married. And he writes back and he says, Well, that's wonderful, dear. I'm so happy for you, but you need to understand something. It's not love that keeps your marriage alive, it's the commitment to your marriage that keeps your love alive. What makes it work with my wife and I? Don't quit. Not an option. It's not an option. What that does is it forces us to look at it, forces us to look at it and go, We've got to kick this stuff to the curb. If it's going to go any further, it's got, you guys with me this morning. Oh, yeah. Because I'm seeing this in the church, guys. I don't ever want us to have an atmosphere in here where you come in, any marriage has to come in and feel like you've got to put on. Come on, we're the body of Christ. I don't care if you got junk. I got junk. There's no such thing as this perfect marriage. It's about commitment to it that makes it work. There's a commitment that I want us to carry with each other so that when we hear about stuff that goes on in marriages, we're like, dude, dude I feel you, man. Totally feel you. I know what's going on there. Let's find out what's going on in the soul. Let's, what we tend to do is just give spiritual answers to it, right? Well, you need to read Ephesians 5. Well, you, brother, you need to go check out 1 Peter where it talks about the woman being the weaker vessel. And you need to understand that. <laughs> Come on. All of the troubles that we face in life typically are born out of something that happens in the soul. Remember, in the soul... Our mind, will, and emotions. That's our heart. That's our, what it is. It all consists right there. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart, for from it springs the issues of life. How many in here have issues? Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? Yep. Some of us are like magazines. <laughs> we got one every month. Some issues have issues. Like news, some of us are like newspapers. We've got a morning edition and an evening edition. <laughs> From the heart spring the issues of life. That's the issue. If there's something going on in life, recognize it's coming from here. We need to have a soul that knows how to prosper. 
God wants to heal us in our soul. He wants to heal our mind, our will, and emotions. He wants to come in and say that pattern of thinking that always takes you to the same place over and over again, we need to come in, lay an ax to that. That's why he was saying that to the Pharisees, the religious, when they said, hey, we need to be baptized too. And he goes, you brood of vipers, who told you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. In other words, I want you to show fruit by this fact that your mind has been changed. And he goes on to say, even now the axe is being laid to the root of the trees. In other words, that whole thing you think you know about, oh, I'm the, of Abraham and I can trace my lineage, la, 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 la. Yeah, there's an axe coming along and it's going, poof, and it's being laid to that thing right now because that kind of thinking does not bring righteousness. It comes through me, he's saying. Right? I'm going to start preaching in a minute. I need to be careful. <laughs> We're not teaching, we're not caring enough about the soul and the body. We have houses, Christian homes that are telling our children, well, just don't get sexually active, don't do drugs. But we're not giving them answers to what they're really asking. When I hear of individuals who have gone down, kids who have gone down and gotten involved in drugs, who have been sexually active, I think I hear of that and I go, that didn't happen last night. I have people say to me, Andrew, your kids are wonderful. And they are. Your kids are wonderful. They're just such pleasant, good kids to be around. And I say, yes, thank you for saying that. That didn't happen last night. Just like a child who gets sexually involved or a child who gets into drugs, that didn't happen last night. Just saying don't do things doesn't work. That's law. Don't do this, do this. That's total law. If you want to live like that, it's death. The letter brings death. The spirit gives life. What are we needing? We're needing to recognize in our households, fathers, mothers, I say to you, I beseech you with your children, get in the ring and fight with them. Stop being passive and living off to the side. Stop thinking that just because they reside in the house with you that everything's okay. It doesn't work like that. It was Jocelyn, we were having this conversation and she said to me, when are we going to learn we've got to get in the ring with our kids and fight with them? Don't do the fighting for them, but fight with them. The breakdown that we have in society is due to the church not recognizing that he turns the hearts of the fathers to the children and then the children to the fathers. The spirit of Elijah, Jesus, comes, right? It's the whole thing. He turns the hearts of the fathers to the children. Fathers, mothers, if our hearts aren't always for our children, I guarantee you things will start to creep in. That's how it happens. They don't happen overnight. They start to creep in. And the soul is needing something. And so what does it do? It tries to find it somewhere else. I needed someone to tell me that I made them happy. That ultimately my core soul issue was I needed specifically a woman to tell me and to show me that I made her happy. That's where the whole pornography thing came in. Hello? Why? There was a question in my soul that didn't get answered. And so I tried to find it somewhere else. And all I was being told was, don't do that. Don't do that. You don't want to do that. Andrew, you want to stay pure for marriage. Well, the only way you can stay pure for marriage is if you, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart. For from it spring the issues of life. I look at it like this. There's a centurion in my heart, and I haven't always gotten this right. But there's a centurion in my heart, and it stands there. And whenever people come and they talk to me, just even in casual conversation, there are times where I'm stopping that and I'm going, "Mm -mm, that's not getting in. Because sometimes it's manipulative. It's trying to get something from me. I'm like, I'm not going to live like that. I will live open and honest with you, but I will not succumb to manipulation. 
So if you're trying to talk to me and do something and give me accolades or do this just to try to get me to respond in kind to that, it ain't going to happen. It's been awkward sometimes, too. You guys know what I'm talking about? You ever had people come and they do all that stuff only to fish for a compliment? And then I don't give one. And it gets really awkward because it gets silent. It's like, I will talk to you open and honestly about stuff, but I'm not going to live like that. There's a centurion there. It's guarding my heart. I don't just let out anything to anybody. At the same token, I don't let anything, just let anything into it as well. I've had my share of mess-ups and failings, enough to know that I know what they feel like. And I, rem- and I know the pain that hurts that comes in, even in my marriage from times past, things that I've done that have brought in some painful, painful things. But I look at that stuff and I recognize by the grace of God that that's a point of reference, not a place of residence. I don't live there. But at the same time, even before the Lord, taking it before the Lord, I hear the Lord saying to me, Andrew, that pain you felt when you did that? Remember what that caused between you and your wife? Remember all that pornography, that sexual addiction, all that stuff? You remember that pain? He goes, yeah, I'm not going to take that fully away from you. I want you to remember that. I want you to remember it so that when you get close to that again, you're going to feel it. So that you will see the end from the beginning. You with me? You'll see the end from the beginning. Yes, he's healed my soul. He has healed my soul. Radically, he's healed my soul. But there are things that I can call to memory and go, ah, ha, 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 no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Uh-uh. No, I don't think so. We're not going back there again. We need to learn how to, not only with our children, but with our friends, our family, the people we say that we're close with, when we hear about things that are going on in a marriage, things that are going on with our kids, where there's you know, drugs, potential drugs, sexuality, potential sexuality. I'm like, where, where is it? How is it that a 12-year-old kid can be sexually promiscuous? I want to ask the parents, where are you? Where are you? At what point is your child away from you for such an extended, extended period of time that you don't know where they are and that gets to happen? It baffles my mind. Is this okay? Oh, yeah. I, what I want to do is I want to talk about this kind of stuff. We can't leave things up in this spiritual realm and just, oh, we're going to pray for them and we're going to love on those kids. No, you want to love on those kids? Get involved. Jump in the ring with them and say, I'm going to fight this thing out with you. And I'm not only going to just fight this thing out with you, I'm going to show you how to fight. I'm going to show you that when these kinds of things happen, that this is what you do in these situations. Something happened recently that, you know, we had camp. Some wonderful things were happening at camp. Always wonderful things happen at camp with the kids and stuff. And, you know, and I'm talking to Ray, this friend of mine from years ago, and I'm hearing stories from him. We're talking about even kids that he was with that are like having these encounters with Jesus, but they had done some really things bad some, that their parents didn't know about. And so they had to come tell their parents about it. And so it's like, I'm hearing all this stuff. And, and it's like, but I'm glad there's freedom. There's freedom. Satan can't hold that. They keep the secret. It makes the lie huge, and it keeps them in the dark. That's, that's wonderful. I love to see all that stuff. But Isabella had said to me the other day, she goes, Dad, I was really praying. I'm going, I just don't have anything like that. Those bad things that have happened to me. And he said, I don't feel like that. And I'm like, good, sweetheart. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. There's this thing where you think, oh, well, some people just got to learn the hard way. Wrong. Eh, that's a lie. You don't have to learn the hard way. What are you talking about? Jesus, the giver of life, comes on the scene to give you everything that you need. Everything that you need. And you got to go learn it the hard way? Come on. I've been there. Anybody else been there? Right? Right? He took the stupid pill. Right? Yeah, you know what happened, right? We've been there. How many of you would say, man, I'm just so glad I did that. I learned so much from that. 
that felt so good coming out of that. Just go, man, I just know so much more. I'm just, I'm so much. Listen, God can take bad things and turn them around for good. He can. But that doesn't mean we go looking for bad things. We're born to have a personal relationship with Jesus. We are born to have a relationship with his body. With his body. This is how it works. If we are going to have a culture of wholeness, church, the only way it's going to work is if we start living really honest with each other. Really, really honest. And if there's problems in your marriage, come on, let's talk about it. Kids, where's our high schoolers? Where's our, our junior high, high schoolers? Put your hands in the air. Kids, I'm saying to you and I'm declaring to you, I know what it's like because we all live in dysfunctional homes, right? Even if your parents are in church, even if it doesn't matter, all of us, even all of us were brought up in dysfunctional homes at some point. I'm saying to you guys, you need healing in your soul. You need it. And if you're finding things where you're having problems with your parents and people around you, I'm saying there's a soul deficit in there. You guys hearing me? It's okay. Let's find out what the question is. Let's find out what the question is. Let's get that answer so we can live whole together. So we can live whole. I am so thankful for people like Andy and Danielle. They're not here today, so I can embarrass them. I am so thankful. These guys are like 26-year-old, 27-year-old people that are like way beyond their years. Way beyond their years in maturity. Andy's our administrative pastor, works with the youth along with Danielle, our youth pastor. Way beyond their years in maturity. I am so thankful for them. That is a heavenly divine gift that God has given us in that couple right there. But I also know this. As much as they have inside of them to give to our youth, parents, they don't have what you have. They don't have what you have. And I'm going to say this to all of us in here. Even if you don't have a kid in our youth, they don't have what you have. It's better when we do this together. Julie went on the last trip. I'm going to pick on you for a minute. Julie went on the last trip, and it was just so encouraging to see. Nobody's telling her to do anything. Nobody's setting stuff up. Is this all right? Yeah, if, whether it is or not, I'm doing it anyway, right? I see what I see happening is, you know, kids coming up front. They're, they're down on the ground. God's obviously moving on them, doing something. We don't know what it is. And I don't see any other of their youth leaders running up. Julie runs up to a kid she doesn't even know. This is what I'm talking about. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where this wholeness begins to happen in the body where we start to recognize, yeah, I'm here for you, kid. I don't know everything about you. I don't even know who you are, but I promise you I've been down a road of life and there are some things that I know that you don't know and I can help you with it. Is it okay to say that? To to say, well, I I see something weird there, but I'm not going to say anything because who am I? Well, who you are is you're carrying the very presence of God inside of you. That's what you're doing. And it's not about judgment. It's about bringing life into the situation. I was going to read Luke 7, 36 through 50, but I'm not going to take you there. It's the story. I'm going to end this with this. It's the story of Mary who comes into the house of Simon, the Pharisee. And they're sitting there eating dinner. And she comes in and she breaks this oil and starts rubbing it all over him. Her tears on his feet, washing his feet with her tears and her hair, pours oil over him. I mean, just this lavish, extravagant love for Jesus. And what happens in the religious, spiritual climate? You've got Simon saying to himself, man, if he knew what kind of woman that was, he wouldn't even let him, her touch him. And Jesus knew exactly what he was thinking. He says, Simon, let me ask you a question. If someone were forgiven 50 denarii and another person were forgiven 100 denarii, who, who would love more? And he goes, I suppose the one that was forgiven more. And he goes, yeah, well, that's this one here. I came into this house. You didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't wash my feet. 
she gets it. And he says, ultimately, Jesus says to her, your faith has sozo you, has saved you. She came in needing a healing, not on the outside. She needed a healing on the inside. And she found it. Why? Because of vulnerability. Who in their right mind? Now, it doesn't say there that she was a prostitute. It says she was a sinner, but that word there literally is not just harmartia. It's a, it's a verb form of that, which really leads us to believe it was immorality. So it could have been a prostitute, could have not. Anyway, the point being, she was such an outcast. Think about it. What would drive somebody into a place with Jesus, specifically into a Pharisee's house? The desperate need for her soul to be healed. And the very, she didn't need just forgiveness for what she had done. She needed her soul healed so that she would never go do it again. Remember the woman caught in adultery? They bring her to Jesus. They're all standing there. Jesus goes, you without sin, you cast the first stone. And he bends down. He starts writing something in the sand. He looks up. Can't find anybody. He goes, where are your accusers? Well, I guess they've left. Well, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Just so you understand That wasn't a command to her to say, go sin no more. Like, don't you ever do that again. The release was in, neither do I accuse you. And because I don't accuse you, you don't have to sin anymore. You see that? There's the release in it. The soul is crying out for it. And it's saying, I need this deficit filled. I don't know what it is. I just need this deficit filled inside. Guys, can we learn to be a church where we're whole? Where we're whole where we recognize we need each other. I'm the pastor of this church, but I am certainly not the master of this church. I have my failings. I have weak spots inside of me. I have bouts with depression. Just being honest, I have bouts with it. It comes and goes. It's not like this disabling kind of thing, but man, I can get very introspective to a point where I'm going, oh God, help oh man. God, mess that up. It's usually Monday it sets in. <laughs> Sometimes Sunday afternoon, depending on how it goes. I can walk out of here and go, oh, gosh, I should have said that. Oh, man. And I can let that tailspin me. But thank God I've got people in my life. I've got some bros around me that I can call them and say, dude, I feel like a piece of dirt right now. Why do I do that? Because I want my soul healed. I want my soul healthy. I want to know. I want to know from someone else around me, they got my back. I want to know that they're there with me, that when I get those feelings of something where I'm going, man, this is not healthy, where I'm going, where my mind is going, that I can pick up a phone, I can go over to somebody's house, and I can say, help me, help me. You guys with me? Stand up with me. Lord, I just want to pray over us this morning. That story where that lady comes in, Mary comes in, pouring out all that stuff. I think it's really interesting. Religion has no room for passion. Isn't that interesting? You get in the context of a church like this, and we're kind of free. We're not as free as we need to be, but we're kind of free here. And I think it's really interesting. I can feel it because I'm the one that stands up here and looks out at you guys. I can, I can sometimes feel it. I can feel religion in the room because I can see people who just want to be free, but they can't because religion hates passion. It doesn't allow it any room. I know that there's a freedom that really isn't freedom. It's all about me getting my needs met. You know what I'm talking about? You know, I'm all about freedom, but don't use your freedom as a vice. Your freedom is not there. Your freedom is meant to set people, other people free. That's a different story for a different time. We'll talk about that. We need it.
We're going to have communion here. We're just going to let you guys do it um, as you feel led, but I'm just going to pray for you guys and then just go ahead and begin coming when I say amen, okay? Father, we want to be whole. We want our soul to prosper. We want to be in good health. And we want to be prospering in all things. Lord, our relationships, I want them to prosper. Lord, I'm declaring that relationships begin to prosper in this room. That health become, begin to line up as the soul begins to line up and as there's healing in the soul. And I just begin to speak to the soul deficits in all of us. The pain, the hurt that's been caused by us, that's been caused by other people. And I just simply declare right now, wholeness, wholeness over you. I declare wholeness over you. So much so that your mind stops thinking like it used to think and it starts thinking like God thinks. I declare wholeness over you. Physical bodies line up because of it. Where there's been poverty mindsets, I declare that that be released because there's wholeness in the soul that's coming. And Lord, even as we begin to come to your table right here, this, this, where we take of your body and of your blood, where we take this bread, this juice, this cup here, Lord, that we do it recognizing that inside of this, it's an act of faith that says everything about what you did for me is all sufficient. It's all sufficient. Church, I'll say it again. I always say it whenever we have communion here. If there's sin in your life, don't avoid this. Run to it. There's a theology that's so bad that says if there's any sin in your life, you need to go deal with that before you do communion. Ah, you run. You run to the table, you take it, and you say, all sufficient sacrifice right here. I'm doing this in remembrance of you and what you've done. It's all sufficient sacrifice. We have juice over here on my left. We have wine over there on my right. Amen. Just begin to come.